Beep. <laughs> Do you agree to that? I, I guess, yeah, but I mean, I, I certainly agree about the quality of what came before that beep. <laughs> so, so I guess I will agree to perform that one edit and begin the show with the beep. Thank you. Hello, listeners. We don't have a guest this week. <laughs> we don't have a guest this week. You know what I would like, though? What would you like? I, I would love to hear whether the episodes that go live to tape, where I don't really do any editing other than chopping off the front and the, and the end, right. and the usual, you know, calibration of the, the mics and stuff, whether those are actually any better than the ones that I spend six to seven hours editing. Well, they're, they're certainly better insofar as they've made use of six or seven fewer hours of your valuable, precious time. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think uh, our listeners are great. I love them. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love the show. Wow. I love this the is, world that you is... <laughs> improve by working for six or seven hours on something more important oh, boy. than deleting an um or an uh. I, the thing is that the ones that go live to tape are usually the ones I think that can bear it. And right. I, I just wonder if, you know, what, what's the now, marginal, what's the what, marginal what, value of the work that I do on those shows? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, what, what is, n- name a recent episode that went, name a few that went live to tape with minimal editing from you so people can compare. I don't think people realize how, how I often... I think the last two. The last, last two, two both went okay. live to tape. And, and, so but I'm not going to talk about the ones that took longer to edit. Right. So folks, it's, it's not always... It, it may seem like it's like the guest's fault, and it's not always that. It can be oh, right. technical things or other things. Uh, of course. Or, yeah. So, folks, uh, oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Send us a note. Right. If you thought the prior two episodes you know, sounded really good and you enjoyed them, let us know. <laughs> because that would be an indication that simply letting the thing go can lead to a great and enjoyable. Oh, episode. they can. I think those were both really. I, I, I thought they were. I great thought they too. were good. Yeah, but but we want to know what other people think. Boy, some of those shows that I spent a long time on, though, with with really good guests, I thought were. I, I really liked them. Yeah, there are some superlative. Yeah. Shows and m- most of the time, many thanks to you. I do very little. I want to make that perfectly clear to everybody. <laughs> Without Joe, no show. <laughs> that, that, uh, do you remember early on you used to try to get me to do this without you? Yeah. You would say just, I don't know why you were really insistent. I, I, maybe you were trying to ditch the show. I couldn't quite figure out what was, <laughs> what was going on. There was, no, you, there was nothing to figure out. I made it very clear. I thought it would be better if you had the possibility to do it with somebody else for the occasions where I'm not around. Like I go... I'm on a trip. I'm do. I'm doing a talk somewhere. There's some something comes up. I you can't wanted do an it. open podcast marriage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you, you now that you put it that way, yeah, yeah, that, that it would maybe. I mean, it's not that I wanted to do podcasts with someone else, <laughs> but I wanted you to be able to do podcasts with someone else. It's so selfless of you, Joe. It is, <laughs> and and you know, you wouldn't take me up on it. No, 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 Joe, no show. You have a I, I, now what what a I would benighted view of fidelity as a fan as a fan of the show I would love to hear some Joe only shows mm, yeah that's not gonna happen yeah I know I know but I would, it's, I'm not technically effective enough to, oh I would record I just turn off my mic what I would just turn off my mic I'd let you I I would still record I'd still edit it no problem oh okay well yeah. this sounds more promising oh okay will you follow me around and just <laughs> pick up random bits of audio now, let me tell you that's that's a podcast we could charge for. <laughs> if we could do that i think already the listeners are starting to see a little bit about what this episode is going to be 
mm. in the end, yeah. right? Which is maybe a little bit more nonsense. We have no plan for today. We have no plan. So this it, truly is a random walk. So, uh, it, And indeed, I would suggest that as the title. Right. <laughs> a random walk. So if you're thinking, boy, that's that, I listened to that Emily Sherwin show and then Al Brophy show and all these other, and, and they were like, they were great. They were great. They were chock a block full of challenging, right. fun, and interesting ideas. Boy, have you come to the wrong place. past performance is not predictive of future results. Clearly not. <laughs> is that right? So uh, and and so today's one of those days. We in we, future episodes, we've yeah. got some great guests lined up already. Oh, yeah, next week, week after, and the week I think. after is terrific. Yeah, it's going to be good. So, but every now and then, and this is the feedback. This, this is the feedback we've gotten. Every now and then, just Christian and Joe, you know, can be. And, and sometimes we've done a real substantive show between you and me. The the one about guns yep. that we did. Um, some of our mailbag episodes. Yep. This may not be one of those because the mailbag is surprisingly empty. It is. It's it's it is bleak and and uh, it's bleak in there. Yeah. So tweet at us, send email to oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, one other little plug, because we don't, you know, we don't normally do plugs, do we? Sometimes. But you should, um, if you like the show, go give us five stars on iTunes. Yeah, that'd That be actually great. helps people find the show. That's true. And, you know, I wish I, we should start citing people who write reviews and leave nice comments. We should say thanks. Oh, I think we, could I think do we that. should do that. Maybe, maybe we'll do that next time. It'd be and the and the more people who give us those five star ratings, the more of that thanking of them we can we can do. Yeah, and so help us the, help you. The only ones we've mentioned so far are the people who who leave negative feedback, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. They you know they've got a good point. Not every show is for everybody. Should we tell people some of the podcasts that we listen to ourselves? To to uh, you said help people find good podcasts. One thing I mean, one way that could happen is if we told them some that we enjoy. Maybe they would like listening to those as well. Okay, let me find a little theme music here for the why, podcast recommendation segment of why the show. Is it, why do you need a? Why do you need that? Well, we're going to start doing segments, right? No, no. <laughs> so, can I run down some? Yeah. So, I like Vox. Uh, Vox is the Weeds. I love the Weeds podcast. Mm-hmm. I love the Ezra Klein show. Relatedly, are those both marijuana related shows? <laughs> <laughs> Neither are. We had an episode called In the Weeds, which yeah, was... Yeah, and after this November, we're going to need to do another episode on recent developments in marijuana law because of the number of ballot initiatives. Right. It in is the, Doug Berman, right? Doug Berman, yeah, yeah. at Ohio State. Yeah. Um, robot or not, of course. I mean, yeah. any sensible person listens to that. Politically Reactive with W. Kamau Bell and Ari Kondabolu. Uh, Planet Money, about race. Keeping it 1600, Judge John Hodgman, Edge of Sports, Code Switch. Uh, there's this new one called The Civilist. Uh, the what? Petro- the Civilist. C-I-V-I-L-I-S-T? Correct. Okay. Um, and uh, Freakonomics and Latino USA. And there's just so many great podcasts. Oh, my God. Let's see. What, what do I have in here? Do you want to hear mine? Yeah. Okay. So this is... Boy, I don't think I even have them all. Hmm. All right. So uh, I started listening to Back to Work again every now and then with Merla Mann mm-hmm. and Dan Benjamin. I've got the Don't Panic Geocast, which is uh, a geology podcast. Oh. But it, that's actually one which is kind of in the vein that you and I do, hmm. right? I mean, they're, they're for a more general audience, but they don't really... Well, I was about to say they don't dumb it down, but I can't say that we we, we don't intentionally dumb it down, but we are sometimes dumb. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, well, we certainly fail to smart it up <laughs> sometimes. Some episodes of The Incomparable, uh, Philosophy Bites. God, what all do I have here? 
some some soccer podcasts. I've still listened to uh, Accidental Tech Podcast. I used to listen to Philosophy Bites, um, and and there were some good there were some good episodes. I could try that again. Nigel Warburton. Yeah, it's um, only every month or something. And then yeah. I've got uh, Invisibilia is awesome. Mm. Uh, similar to Radio Lab, if you like Radio Lab, that yep. sort of uh, that's ninety nine percent invisible. That's totally great. That's a great one. We got I've got Judge John Hodgman. I have I have my own podcast for the Modern American Legal Theory Show mm-hmm. in there. Uh, oh, Supreme Court oral arguments. I have. Let's see that one. I don't have any more. Oh, the, yeah, the Orbital Mechanics. That's a show about space flight mm. involving, which is kind of a, a nitty gritty kind of technical interest you know enthusiast show it's it's great i've got planetary radio this is the planetary society's podcast i've got radio lab i still have more perfect in there i have reconcilable differences that's merlin man and john syracuse you got a lot of space you got a lot of space and a lot of tech i've got road work which is um uh which is dan benjamin and um and of course um uh uh john roderick mm. and i also have roderick on the line mm. i i've you know i've always kind of like John Roderick and, and listening. I am more into him than I have been yeah. in a while. I mean, I, yep. I really have started to get into it. Let's see. I've got, um, of course, Amicus. I right. have uh, this great podcast with Kerry Nugent, who's a scientist working at NASA on their, uh, basically an asteroid, um, the NEOWISE project. But she does a series of podcasts with basically scientists in um, planetary, planetary, did I say planetary? You did. Boy, I need to, see, this is why we need editing. No, this is why <laughs> editing is an abomination. Yeah, this is why you listen to it at 2X. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually think our show sounds pretty good at 2X with smart speed on. Yeah. And I when just... I listen to it slowed down, I'm like, you know, hurry, get it out, dummy. Mm. <laughs> Talk faster. Uh, space pod, so it's, she talks with scientists, um, space scientists, planetary scientists, people who work on different kinds of, you learn an incredible amount mm. about astronomy, about, um, not about astrology. Mm. They don't cover that. Different podcasts. Different podcasts yeah. for that one. Uh, I listened to all of them on the way back from Maine this summer. Wow. Yeah, just all, just completely caught up. I love that podcast. See, I still listen to the talk show with John Gruber. Oh, well, let's see, what else do we have here? We've got a few of these law podcasts that I subscribe to. Um, you mentioned Amicus. I'm a sort of annual subscriber to Slate, so I get the sort of the Slate podcast kind of fire hose so it's culture gap fest political gap fest amicus you know uh mom and dad are fighting uh stand up and listen they're mm-hmm. just uh, all these slate ones that are really great i i enjoy m- most of them uh, much of the time i'm i'm sure they are and i i don't listen to a lot of those and i i think i've subscribed to keeping it 1600 just recently and i listen to it but i, I try not to listen to a lot of political podcasts mm. just because like you, you, I don't know. Especially this election, so like you know what's happening. You know it's, <laughs> you know what I mean. I don't even want to start talking about it. I don't I'm, even. I'm starting to get my. I'm feeling my blood pressure increase. Yeah, I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm clenching. Yep. I just. I can't. I can't even. Correct. Judge on Hodgman. I think I said that right. Yeah. Such a brilliant show. Yeah. And because he is so funny, and he's um, like you. He's very much a. Uh, the sort of the a humanist in the best tradition. Oh, and, thank uh, you, Joe. I think that's true of you. I think it's true of James Grimmelman. I think it's true of uh, yeah. He wrote a great little thing, didn't he? Yeah, about trigger warnings. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw you comment and how he that. approaches mm-hmm. his case book and yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, Judge Don Hosman, man, he's the greatest. Well, if we had a fake internet dispute, I would, I would definitely want him to adjudicate it. What if, what if we have real and substantial disputes? I feel I think, like we have plenty of those. I think we need to wrestle with those ourselves <laughs> and not bother him with that... our real and substantial disputes in the real world. Uh huh. We should just take we, the fake ones to him. Yes, correct. I think we we shouldn't bother him with anything other than the fake and trivial. I feel like there's something. See, now I'm going to feel like I need to cut this out because there was something we definitely needed to say. Really? About there was. John, about Judge no, John it was Hodgman? something that before you got on about the podcast thing, I was just about to come in and, oh, I know what it is. Oh, ooh, ooh, this is huge. This is huge <laughs> podcast related news for oh, this wow. podcast. Whoa. We have been alerted by a future, by a future guest on the show uh-huh. who had, was trying to listen to some older episodes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That if you were in a podcast app. You can't get the episodes before, I guess, so after this one, it'll be episode 12. Right. Right. And so it, long story short, we use Squarespace for our website and to host the RSS feed. And we use Libsyn to host the files. And there's some back and forth with all this. And but We're talking yep. now about oral argument back office functionality. Yeah, this is, right? yeah, this is why people tune in. They want to hear the nitty gritty details <laughs> of, of how this is hosted and recorded. We still have to do a whole show about how we've like knitted together all these tools to record this show. And that will it, be yeah. a Christian exclusive show because I'm, I literally know nothing about it. Meaning that I will be the only one talking and the Correct. only one listening. It, right. Both, I think. <laughs> we can guarantee the former. You'll be the only one talking. Okay, so long story short, Squarespace for some reason limits that RSS feed, the one that kind of has all the information about all the old shows, to 100 podcast episodes. It's like a Y2K phenomenon. Like, we couldn't program the computers <laughs> to think past 1999. Well, you, then you think it would be 99. And anyway, I don't know. It's, uh, it's exactly, <laughs> it's, it's 100. It's 100 shows. And, and so you can go to our website, of course, and you can listen to episodes 1 through 10 or 1 through 11 yeah, at this point. Yeah, but that's no way to live. That's no Listening way to live. Listening to a podcast. That's no way to live. You want to be able to dial yeah. them up. So Listeners, we're aware of this. We are aware of the demand for some of the some of those shows are really good. Those early ones, yeah, I would say all of them, at least the ones with guests, right? We got uh, Logan Sawyer was on there, right? Sonia West in episode one. I haven't looked back to see exactly who's on those. I mean, first believe 10. me, folks, there are thirty or forty episodes that Christian and I recorded just with the two of us that we uh, deleted immediately that are terrible that <laughs> will never see That's, the light of day. That is not true. Uh, it's it's uh, you know. Yeah, that's it's, that's it's not a, so. It's a pile of old chicken wing bones. I, you know how people know that's not true? How, how do they because know? they're listening to this episode right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine how bad those imagine other ones how are. How bad the other ones are? Exactly. Oof. Okay. So we, we do have a few things we want to talk about. That was one of them. Yeah. We, we're we're now aware of this problem. Yes. And are evaluating alternatives. It doesn't seem to be that that there's an easy fix, and so we may have to like relocate the RSS feed, or you know, it could be right. complicated. So, yep, 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 yep. Our sincerest apologies for the relative inaccessibility of the first ten, eleven, twelve episodes, however right. many it is, at the time that you're listening. Because you want the full back catalog. These things are timeless. They're out of time. Right. So you yeah. want that whole thing available. You want to see was there someone they talked to who that I might be interested to hear, and it doesn't. It could be episode two or episode 20 or episode 40. That shouldn't matter. No. Because that's not, you know. No, we, we, we've never really, I mean, there are a few times we've done, a, a, we've, we've really discussed a timely issue, but we've tried to do it in a way that would be yeah. timeless. Like, we're not one that generally, but occasionally, I'll go do the Supreme Court roundups and everything. But even those, sure. we're talking about things that are, anyway, right. timeless. It doesn't mean valuable. No. It means that well, it has the same value whatever time you listen to it. Correct. However minimal that value may be. <laughs> All right. Well, all right, ne- next issue. 
Um, so hold on. So what was feedback? Right. So that item was simply bit. that item was simply to say we know this is a right. thing, right? And Christian is hard at work as he is on so many things. Christian is hard at work on solving this problem. There will come a point soon while I where at, at which I will be hard at work on this. Okay, and I will congratulate you for solving the problem, having done nothing to help you solve it. No, not because <laughs> I am unwilling; it, right. it's because I'm unable. You know what I think? This is just going. It's going to be yet another thing that I'm going to have to spend five dollars a month to solve. <laughs> yet another service, probably. Right. I don't know. We'll see. There'll be something. We'll we'll figure something out. But I, I we we know this is no way to live. To... This is a topic we should broach with our listeners. The the thing that you just obliquely grazed by mentioning a, a monthly no charge. That, no, 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 that's not that's not part of this show. No, okay. no, 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 no. Um, see, that's something I would have cut out right there. But you're not going to. Not going to. So feedback. Yes. So we did get a little bit of feedback. Yes. Not a lot. And do you want to? Do you do you have it dialed up there? Uh, I can get it. Yeah, do you mind getting it? Let's... I don't mind getting it. Okay. Um, you wh- want to do the second one first? Sure. Sure. What is the second one? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's an op-ed relevant to capital punishment right. issues that, that this undoubtedly lis- we will talk about in a future episode. Is this listener Michael? I believe it is. Yes. And... Uh, should we link this one now or should we hold this one until we see my thought when I saw that is it so, so listener Michael has written, we can link it both times. We can put yeah, it in the okay. show notes now and then later on we'll wind up putting it. I just, in I just don't want to spoil again, it. Right? I just don't want to spoil it. That's all. It's a spoiler. <laughs> so he's written a very interesting, um, article on the death penalty and some history involving the death penalty. And, some op-eds and it's been anyway it's it it's very interesting i think we should talk about in the in a future show about the death penalty of which i'm sure we will have one yes soon so our thought was we would collect this and bring it up at that point does that sound good to you joe it does but it we will link it up and so if you're interested in this i mean the upshot is that if you look back at the at at history so even if you are an originalist about these things and mm-hmm. saying hey the death was allowed they used to be you know um part of our legal has always been part of our legal culture contemplated in the constitution and therefore if you're an originalist the idea that the constitution could prohibit the death penalty seems like anathema and all of these kinds of chipping away at the death penalty that the court has done they may seem inconsistent with an original view of the constitution and here's a little bit of research suggesting that the ban on execution of people who are mentally incompetent in some way has always been with us mm. And I, it's fascinating. It yeah. deserves a lot more time than that. But that's, the, that's it in a nutshell, and I think we should come back to this. Indeed. Because without knowing the history, it, it sounds somewhat intuitive to think that, that, that bound up in the notions of punishment and personal responsibility would be your, your, the, the mental capacity to recognize that you did a wrong and that you're currently being punished for that wrong. Yeah, and that's... That, so the the sort of the bundle of folk psychological concepts that that are rolling around in there, right? Um, you can imagine them; be, they're having a very long history of that of that idea, which is which implies constraints on when you'd be willing to exact certain punishments for people who are, aren't in full possession of all their mental faculties. And now that's another show we might do, which could which we we should bring this paper into it. Um, on like this this idea it's just it's bugging me this idea um that is very common in criminal law like one of the criteria 
what uh, for the application of criminal punishment is that the person appreciates the wrongfulness of their actions. Like mm-hmm. it has this, like, like you said, it's like a folk psychological or, or concept. Or at least has the capacity to right. appreciate it. Instead of, what did I say, ability? Are you making it? No, I thought you, I thought you said that they recognize oh, it. Oh, that they did. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think the point isn't that they actually subjectively right. recognize it, but that they are capable Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the capacity to recognize whether they do or not is up to them. But so it's interesting. Like in a psychological sense, what does it mean to have the capacity to do it and yet not have done it, not have recognized it? And anyway, how does it, how do people how does that recognition work? Well, I mean, presumably, a person who's wrongfully convicted and wrongfully imprisoned never recognizes, the, of course, what they did wrong because they didn't actually do it. <laughs> Right, so there's a person who would have capacity, yeah, although there are and case, would not have recognized it there because they didn't do of, it. There are cases of wrongful convictions and c- through coerced interrogation where people do recognize the wrongfulness of a crime that they never committed. Well, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean this we're, is, we're, we're, I, I only, we're, not, we're we're starting to I, dance on the pinhead. But. Well, we we are, but it kind of points out the weirdness of the human mind mm. and and the folk concept that criminal law, as you say, like that that criminal law kind of rides on this idea of. This dis, this ensouled decision making being, right, right, who has some kind of moral sense, and we're kind of judging that. But it's not, you know, it, it's no, it's complicated, and I, <laughs> and and in that that concept of someone like you know having a capacity to know the wrongfulness is it, it bothers me. Okay, really bothers me. And then we should talk about it. Yeah, we should. We should at some point. And it it's also I've I've done some reading recently about causation. The, the broader idea of causation and mm. philosophy and the and its connection with responsibility and law. Mm. You know, you know, part of the reason I've started to do that. I don't. Do you want to hear? Sure. We have an upcoming appearance, don't we, Joe? Oh yes, we do. We have an upcoming live appearance. Yes, and I think I, I honestly don't weeks. know. I honestly don't know if there's still time to get in on this. But if you're going to be in the Atlanta area Ooh. and you would like CLE credit. Right. Or you would otherwise like to participate in an awesome event. The Tech Law Institute is going to be in Atlanta. Which day? Do you know the day? October, Friday. It's a Friday, a Friday in late October, October, maybe the yeah. 21st. Yeah. Something like that. I'll put this in the show notes. Yeah. I'll, put, I'll put some Tech Law in. Institute, yeah. Georgia State Bar. It's going to be at the Bar Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the third year in a row that you and I have spoken at the Tech Law Institute. The second year in a row that we are recording. Second therefore, year this in a podcast. row that we're recording an episode. And hopefully it will work. We can't promise, you know... Things happen, it worked right? last year. It worked last year. We're going to try again this year, and hopefully we'll be able to. Yeah. But we've been talking about what we're going to talk about there. We have. And can I spill some beans here? You can look. There's. It's a clean table. And by spill that I mean, away. by that I mean, can I say some things? Yes. Okay. We've been talking about maybe. We've been talking about maybe talking about this kind of autonomous vehicle. Yeah. Thing that we've talked about on past shows. Self-driving cars is another phrase you might hear people use. For yeah, this. and there are a lot of skeptics of self-driving cars, and I think there's a lot. We'll talk about some of that, but yep. more generally, I'm, I'm I've been interested lately, and a little bit related to this work that I've just released, and we can talk about it another time. This idea of humans, which create decision-making entities, mm. where law essentially is about the regulation of decision-making entities, mm. right? And that maybe something qualitatively different is going on. When humans are not just like employing other decision-making entities for which they might be responsible in an enterprise liability sense, or even for, you know, people who used to uh, chase uh, sheep around with their dogs, right? Her, you know, dogs are kind of, but you can kind of predict what they're going to do. And, yep. or at least you might be responsible for the things they would probably do. But when we And start you can pro- issue commands along the way, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. There's, but, but it's not a 
the uh, same way that an employer can it's issue not a pure rules transmission and, right. belt where the where there's no other decision maker in the, exactly. in the chain there is another decision maker in the chain and we make employers liable for the actions of their employees which are within the scope of their employment meaning that you know to the extent there's some possibility of control and they're doing the employers and there are all kinds of reasons for that we'll get into but we'll talk about this at the at the tech law institute i think if if you agree to this yeah yeah uh and but now you know with with computers you're familiar with the computers i am okay uh, we're starting <laughs> we're starting to program decision making entities yes. where the decisions that these entities make are not super predictable in advance Right. You know, early computer programs, you might not be able to predict their computations easily because that's how that's why we're using them. They're great computing machines. But at least, you know, the logic that they're going to follow and we can make in concept some predictions about what they'll do. Yeah. And as they get more complicated and we ask them to do more complicated things and use other kinds of algorithms in order to reach decisions. This is part of like, you know, uh, the black box society stuff that we've talked about Mm -hmm. with Frank Pasquale. Uh, it gets to be harder and suddenly you've got an entity which looks like a separate independent decision-making machine, but where that, that brain, that, that, um, that decision-making apparatus has been created by a human being. And the question, as we talked about with Ryan Kahlo and others, is what degree of responsibility should we, dis- uh, should we put on authors of such things and authors of such brains and, and what degree of regulation should they be under, right? Yep. And this is, I think, um, I, I think I'd. I like thinking about this as, I think I mentioned this in these shows, this kind of action at a causal distance, mm. separated not in time from your decision to do something, not in space from your decision to do something, but in terms of a, a causal web, right? That the thing that you're doing has, you know, in, in tort <coughs> law, we oftentimes say no, that the, you're not liable for something when there's been an intervening cause. There, right? there has to be some level, you said unpredictable, there has to be some level of predictability or you wouldn't deploy the thing, Right. Right. So it's it has to be predictable within a range of acceptable behaviors. Do you see the Doesn't connection? It? Do you see the connection here with the jurisprudence theory, though? Because what law at the top level does is it creates these institutions, these decision making institutions, and people judge them and accept them so long as they operate within a range of sure. you know, acceptable decisions. Sure. Right. There's this. So the, I, anyway, I, I, I'm only previewing this now. I'm, I'm still doing some reading about it. Okay, cool. I think it'd be cool to write something about this action at a causal distance mm, idea. I agree. And there actually, there's a, there's a uh, sort of an allied question, at least it sounds allied to me, about, and, and, and by mentioning this, I in no way, truly, not none, no way at all, uh, inviting further utterance of the phrase i will use once okay so this is going to be Monkey a common selfie okay <laughs> is that gonna be the title of this show no the show is a random <laughs> gonna be a spin-off podcast joe and the bitcoin monkey selfie <laughs> <laughs> the pain uh a few folks uh, such as Anne marie bridey uh a university of idaho law school professor uh has uh, and some other folks have written about the authorial status of creative works created by a- algorithms or other machine or computer instantiation. Right. And, uh, and how to think through as a matter of copyright policy, as a matter of copyright doctrine, uh, what to do in, in a context like that. That sounds like an allied question. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like, I guess the question really there is, do you, do you give exclusion rights to, the authors of the creative machines 
over the output of those machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, that's one way to tackle the question. Of course, if you want to try to make an even stronger connection with the autonomous vehicle thing, you might you might say, you know, what if the what if the subject matter that the algorithm produces is defamatory? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's responsible for the defamation? What if it's, you know, violates some other standard? Is this like the the chat bot that they created? It was a I, I don't want to say who did it because it would be defamatory. But some some tech company created some kind of chat bot on Twitter or something that was supposed to learn over time and quickly became a racist. Mm, yeah, um, real hate spewing. Anti-Semitic or something, oh, yeah. Correct. Uh, I do think there was an incident like that. Um, that. So that's another example. It's another great example, I think, uh, that, that sort of marries these two ideas. Uh, so yeah, there, there's some... So one framing is... Uh, it's an interesting problem. Creating creators. Ooh, title. Creating creators. Oh. And then you, know, you mark out your, your spectrum because obviously... I say, obviously, maybe you'd want to change this, Joe. I don't know what your opinion of this is. As a, you, you are an IP scholar, how an expert. Is it from, how different is it from, you know, what... So the ca- a camera, think mm-hmm. of an old film camera. I'm familiar with them. Uh, think of the Kodak Brownie back in the day. That, okay. Uh, one of the inventions that's, that spurred the, both the democratization of photography and, um, and caused some real concern among various grandees. Uh, such as Louis Brandeis and Samuel Warren and invasions of privacy and, yeah. and, and the like. Uh, think about those old film cameras. Uh, they facilitate the creation of an image uh, with a level of accuracy that uh, previous technological development uh, didn't permit. Right, you could make a sketch, you could make a painting. Right, it's mm-hmm. it wouldn't be photo real. Obviously, it's not a photo. Uh, so, so is that? Um, w- can you imagine someone of having the same conversation about the camera? Yeah, because it's a technology that lets you author a thing you couldn't have authored before. Um, it's somewhat in your control. Someone had to design it. Um, someone did design it and build it. Uh, a user is using it to a degree, but but they obviously they can't do exactly what the camera can do without use of the camera, or they wouldn't need the camera, right? So they're they're able to achieve a thing they couldn't have achieved before. I don't know where the predictability issue fits in there in your causal web concept. That's true of paintbrushes too, though. Indeed, perhaps it is. Right. So I'm just sort of po- poking yeah. at you know how deep this thing really goes. I've got one at the at the end of the spectrum though. Should one's parents be able to claim any rights over the creations of their progeny? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I, think, I mean, I mean that, and your intuitions about it might be driven by very different uh, backdrops, legal cultural backdrops. Uh, you know, the way the way the the moral rights tradition in European copyright law, as against the utilitarian sort of necessary evil concept of copyright law here in the United States, it might lead you to have very different intuitions about the, the, uh, the, how bonkers is it to suggest that a parent, a human parent ought to have a, an exclusion right in the creative output of its children. Right. Uh, of that or parent's children. Getting out of copyright, to what degree should they have responsibilities for the actions of their children? Yeah. What if the painting the child makes is, a, is, a, expresses 
defamatory material. Right. And we do hold parents liable in certain circumstances for not controlling children. Once they reach the age of majority, you know, under most circumstances, not legally liable for the actions of the child, but still there's some normative judgment of parents that occurs. Yeah, there's some overlap here, too, with just the the notions of indirect liability generally. Yeah. Right. When is, when am I, um, when am I liable? Let's say you buy a piece of equipment that I've that I sell generally out in the marketplace and you take that piece of equipment and you perpetrate a robbery with it. Yeah. We'll get back to guns. Um, yeah. I mean, I was trying to yeah, use no, an no, example no, 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 of, right, of right. a, of a technology. I mean, let's say it's just a ladder. I sell ladders and you are a person who buys the ladder and you happen to perpetrate a, a burglary with the ladder and you break it out right. of someone's dwelling and et cetera, with the intent of committing a crime when you're in there. And, uh, Am I responsible for your burglary? I mean, yeah, well, you know, I mean, so yeah. you can work, think through all of the, you know, traditional answer, not unless I knew about it as you were buying the ladder. Um, but, uh, see, under my model, this, you know, I have this knowledge regulation flow chart, which is in the latest work, which mm. we'll maybe t- mentioned just briefly in a second. And regulation of instrumentalities of conduct in order to avoid harms is something the law is well familiar with and occurs, right? Sure. Like guns could be one such instrumentality. There's a, long-standing ban on lockpicking kits in some places. Yeah. Uh, so part of it has to do with uh, the degree to which this equipment can be used for lawful rather than unlawful purposes. So some equipment, which has many, many, many lawful uses, uh, you'd be inhibiting those quite a bit if you if you said, well, uh, you're responsible for anything wrong that someone does with that equipment. Right. Really? Even if I didn't know anything about it? But ordinarily when someone drives a car, yeah. right, and they cause an injury with the car, well, we've got this chain, right? And this is what I have in the other piece, which is not on, on a slightly you know, different point, a more jurisprudential point. But on this point, you have sources of information. We absorb information. We think about things. Based on all of our thoughts, we decide to do things. We use instrumentalities. And doing those things with those instrumentalities causes some effect in the world, right? And law typically is aimed, especially if you're a consequentialist, is generally aiming at avoiding bad effects and encouraging good effects. And when we look at that chain and we ask ourselves, boy, I've got a bad effect here. I've got a bad thing. Understanding that full chain helps you realize there are many different points that law could be brought to bear to, mm-hmm. to interrupt and prevent that bad effect. Right. For example, and maybe we just want to ex post punish that bad effect. Like, boy, you shouldn't have done that. And it's, it's good enough to send the right signals through the marketplace and get to the right point for us just to, give you a fine or put you in jail or something yeah. else. Exposed. And then one consequence of that is that people who are, are in the neighborhood of that activity will try to figure out how to avoid that bad. Yeah. So that they can avoid being punished. Right. And we leave it to them to figure that out. That's, may, that's a strategy. Sure. It may well be that that's not good enough. And Might that be. you want, you know, exposed punishment for whatever reason doesn't discourage this kind of behavior. That you get still get too much harm, no matter how you ratchet up the exposed right. penalties. And then you might go down that chain and aim at instrumentalities. You know, you ban the lockpick kits, you ban the guns, you regulate the cars so they can do less damage right. no matter what someone decides to do. So you can regulate instrumentalities, either banning them or, or shaping them or doing whatever it takes to make bad decisions result in less, less bad harms. Yep. Or to produce better benefits, if you look at it the other way around. You could insist on certain safety equipment. I mean, short of a prohibition, you could right. insist on certain safety features of a vehicle or some other piece of equipment. Um, sure. So all I wanted to, you know, and we've kind of gotten into it rather than just previewing it. 
For me, the most interesting thing here is when that decision-making entity, in advance of that instrumentality, which itself is in advance of the harm or the effect, is not a human being, but is a product of human beings. Right. And so it's not exactly the same as regulating instrumentalities when we are regulating kind of a black box decision-making entity that has human created. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I'm glad that you previewed it because I, that's, this is very deep and I want some time to think about it. I think that will make for a better conversation yeah. at the Tech Law Institute. Um, I take it you, as you were alluding to before, you mean the non-human creations of humans? That's right. Um, so, you know, they can be robots and other things, but, but it does, like, I think it's, it's useful to think about uh, the human creations of humans. This is sure. that, that's the end of the spectrum that we were just talking about. Exactly. What, you know, yeah. parents have children who then make decisions who, with an instrumentality, cause some harm. To what degree should the parents be responsible? That's a great and question. And maybe it has. To, you know, and, and I think it's it's no accident that we regulate parents as sources of information to children when the children will predictably make bad decisions mm-hmm. with instrumentalities. So this mm-hmm. is like neglect and other things, right? And when the you see what I'm saying? Yeah, right? I just thought of another yeah. another potentially interesting uh, set of insights, um, which is uh, the responsibility of humans for the animals they own. They're not the non-human animals right. they own. Um, pets, livestock. Uh, if they have a wild animal in their possession and it gets loose, right? Um, there are some lovely old common law authorities in this regard as well, and it's a similar. Sort of, you're you're a decision maker. You have an right. instrumentality that has some will of some kind, right? Uh, and, and so it makes decisions, uh, and you control it, and and not, right, to various degrees. Um, so so, so yeah, to so to the employer liability for employee actions. Yep, yep, but, yep, yep. Which I've always an, uh, analogized to, and I think is not is is actually more than analogous to defective products. And the move to strict liability for defective products, but okay. So let's should we leave this one behind for now? Yeah, though let's put a pin in it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. You did. I did. I did. I've said it so many times. I think we've got another bit of feedback, though. We do. Uh, this is from listener Fisher, and excellent. Listener Fisher was making the point that when we talked about uh, Justice Ginsburg and her public observations about one of the candidates and the prudence or imprudence of that uh we of course we're exploring that and the and the broader question of judges voting in elections we were focusing quite a bit on judges voting in elections for executive officials right where they would be judging say in agency the decisions of those of the of those executives right? sure so yeah. it could be the government it could be a governor's race could be a president's race etc right so but of course fisher points out wait a minute judges can vote in legislative elections as well and, right and by the way i could add to fisher's list they could vote in judicial elections Ooh. in states that have elected judiciaries so uh yeah judges are voting for different sorts of officials they could be voting for officials whose output they must judge um, of course, they're also voting for officials whose output they will not judge. And, and when a judge goes into a booth, all you know is that he or she is voting. Not right. that he or she is voting for this, but not that. Correct. So if, if a chief justice of a state Supreme Court goes into a voting booth, you don't know whether he or she is deciding to vote for lower court judges or not. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you could ask an interesting, I suppose you could ask an interesting 
uh, sort of, mm, what would it be? A due process question of, 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 uh, of a first amendment question. Uh, I'm not sure what the doctrinal rubric would be, but you know, you could ask a, a question about, um, w- would it be permissible for the sovereign to forbid judges to vote, uh, in any election of any kind, uh, on in the trying to pursue the interest of perceptions of fairness and impartiality uh and you know if you think about the sovereign who employs that judge i would think they would have a fair amount of leeway um to insist that judges refrain from from voting but it'd be interesting to think through all the arguments on both sides of that i can you know the doctrinal the american doctrinal answer is probably you know the public employee speech cases would be the most analogous. Right. Right. This is the, the change from the original kind of Holmes position that um, that a policeman may have the right to free speech, but has no right to be a policeman. Right. Do you remember that? I, I, I mangled the yeah. exact quote, but you know what I mean, right? Yep. And, and of course that changes. And now there's this balancing test, this yep. Pickering-Connick balancing test, which right. seems often to arise in school context, but, but the Connick was actually a... Um, was it public defender's office or a, a district attorney's office? It was, yeah, I think it was a prosecutor. This is Harry Connick Jr.'s father, I think, was the, is that was the right? Connick in that case. Yeah, I think so. I did not know that. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, you, you go and you ask, is it, on, is it on a matter of public concern? And if it is, you balance the employee's interest in speech. You know, it's a standard balancing test against yeah. disruption in the workplace and everything. And so, you know, here, you cert, certainly voting is a matter of public concern and a judge has an, a personal interest in doing so. So you'd weigh that against... I guess on the other side would be the appearance of impropriety because you know the judge is actually voting, but it's, but here she's doing so in secret, right? So yeah, yeah. secret voting for a throws a, a bit of a wrench into the into the factual predicate here. The judge uh, isn't uh, just like everyone uh, else, I suppose. A judge doesn't have to reveal uh, for whom they voted. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. So the appearance is less an issue here than maybe. You know, what if we could study this and know that the act of voting makes you think differently about the people on the ballot? Like if you vote against somebody and they win, it biases you against that person in a way that if you had abstained, it wouldn't have. You know, I mean, because in the voting booth, the the judge is being asked to make an evaluative decision about, say, lower court judges. And sometimes when we're asked to make a decision, it makes us think differently about the options than if we abstained from a decision altogether and you and as you say you could be voting for a winner maybe right in which case there might be a sort of buyer's remorse effect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you could be voting for the person who loses so you you might have an adverse reaction to the winner after that um th- of course there's not only the question of of whether these effects exist but their magnitude yeah and how their magnitude relates to the magnitude of other effects so uh and if I recall, Fisher's point was like if you're voting for a local uh, – for, for your legislator at whatever level, like they may not vote on the thing that you're asked to look at and you have it in front of you. I, I forget all of his – I do and it's very it, – it lays out a long list of factors and it also talks not only about our system but of course parliamentary systems where right. you're voting not for your specific representative in some parliamentary systems but, but are instead just voting for a party list, Yeah, right, which is a further comp locating factor about how these things would pan out so um, yeah when i read that email it was you know it was i was having kind of trouble thinking about it and i think that's part of part of the point is that what it means to vote 
depends very much on on the particular office for which you're voting and the system under which you're voting. And so what it means for a judge to vote in relation to his or her duties very much depends on, on the vote and the system and the culture and everything else. Yeah. And, and even if a, in a way it suggests that even a, even at the purely voluntary level, right, a judge who is deciding for him or herself, look, I think it would be better for me not to participate in, uh, in electoral political voting. Yeah. Um, even for that judge to figure out, okay, when is that, what does that really mean? What are there, are, does that mean, is that across the board? Or there's some things you could vote on where there, where even the most scrupulous and, you know, uh, Caesar's wife must be above reproach, right? <laughs> even the most uh, exacting scrutiny would say, oh, that, that can't possibly be a problem. Uh, um, yeah, it's kind of, you'd have to go through it bit by bit. And, and sort of think it out, think it all out. I don't think you could, it just strikes me as there's not an easy answer across all these levels, across all these different kinds of officials, uh, et cetera. Cool. Do we have anything else? Is there anything else in the mailbag? No. I don't think so. I, and, and there may have been something on Facebook and I, I think I said there was something on Facebook. I always forget to check the Facebook. I don't think Facebook we got anything on the Twitter. Because there was something that I mentioned that we should definitely talk about, and huh. it was on the Facebook. Should, should I find this yeah, now? Yeah, why don't, why don't you... Let me, let me find this now. Do you want to fill some airtime here? Yeah, what do I need to do in, uh, to do that? I guess if I knew the Gettysburg Address, I would just recite it. Um, but I don't, <laughs> so I can't. Um, th- well, there was... Uh, oh, hold on here, hold on. That hold sounds on. like the beginning of some kind of limerick. <laughs> there was an old post on Facebook. Oh, boy. <laughs> let's see there there was a uh, listener nicholas on facebook mm. commented on and he said it doesn't matter what show it is because it wasn't about this show in particular he was just oh, okay. thinking about this he yeah, says yeah. this comment doesn't pertain to this episode which was episode 109 the one with kathy sharkey boy mm. that was a good one wasn't it uh, very good uh this comment doesn't pertain to this episode though i will say i thoroughly enjoyed this one thank you so do we uh this <laughs> is more for your speed trap suite of episodes Ooh. i like i like it I like that we have a suite. I do too. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, quote, slowpoke laws? These are the laws that require drivers in the left lane to move over for other drivers who want to pass them. Drivers going the speed limit in the left lane can be ticketed if they don't allow cars behind them to pass. So far, so good, don't you think? Yeah. And in fact, there was a news item about, about this not too long ago. And, and, it, and I got... I went down a little rabbit trail that included a little video oh boy. of some of the traffic effects that can happen when people are using the left oh, lane to do wife, something Meredith, other she, than yeah, pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was because it, it actually, you know, the people who like zoom, you know, you're going to have to merge, and there are people who zoom along until the very end, right? Uh, and try to get in front, and people that irritates people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what Meredith explained from this was that it's actually better just to let those people in, let sure. them zipper in. Sure, sure. Even though it feels like it's one of those things where, you know, it's, we, we talked about this the other week, didn't we, about how the destructive, the societal destructive impulse people have at an individual level not to be a chump. Mm, right. right. My desire not to be a chump makes me want to do things which actually are socially ruinous. And this is like an example of that, isn't it? Because I feel this. And we, we talked about this as not. You, know, you don't want to let feel this that person strongly. get the better of you in that context. Because you see them zooming along and it's always the same kind of car. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and it causes this the, negative cascade, though. And the right, the arrow, the right arrow has been flashing for a mile. Yeah. And they, no, no, I'll just, I'm going to zoom along. Boy, it's faster in this lane. It's right. faster in this lane. I'm just going to keep going. And you know, you know who these people are, right? 
see, this is this is what's going on in the brain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and then they're trying to get over at the last minute. Yep. And you're just hoping that the people in front of you do not let this jackass in. Right. Am I right? Yep. And it turns out <laughs> we would all be better off if we let those, if, if we, if first of all, people use that lane and then they just kind of zippered in. That's, right. that's, I didn't read the article, but that's my understanding. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I have more here. Oh, okay. I have cool. more here from Licker, uh, Lickener, listener Nicholas. <laughs> oh boy. Not normally thought of as a tongue twister, but there we go. <laughs> Am I going to turn into the Dan McCoy of this podcast? I don't know. Yeah. That's a Flophouse reference. Okay. <sighs> Drivers going the speed limit in the left lane can be ticketed if they don't allow cars behind them to pass. True. I'm not sure how often we pass laws requiring people to get out of the way so that other people can break the law. (laughs) Georgia recently passed one of these laws, and I'm sure several other states have them as well. You may have already covered this, and I just missed it. No, we have not covered that particular thing. This is, And I'm not even aware of it. He didn't cite anything, and so I haven't looked at it. Right. Um, I, I think... We are well nigh due for another speed trap episode, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, I, I, the idea, I, you know, I guess is that maybe there's a statute that says even if someone is going a lot faster, you have to pull, you know, and you're going the speed limit, like you have, you have to move over and let them, like you're facilitating, they're breaking the law. Well, no, my understanding is that these, these statutes are about the fact that the left lane should be used for passing other vehicles. So I don't think there's an implication about violating the speed limit. So a person could be driving at 50. You might be driving at 50 behind them. You decide you'd like to pass. You could accelerate to 55. That's within the legal limit on this highway, let us postulate. And you could be using the left lane to pass at 55, a driver driving 50. You then get back into the right lane. What the statute would say is don't stay in the left lane long after the point where you had passed the other vehicle driving 55. Again, the speed limit on my hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that's what the statutes are directed to use the left lane for passing and not otherwise. Well, so I want to, so two things, one, because there are safety implications for the, for the flow of traffic. I suppose, I suppose so. But at least like theoretically, if you're going the speed limit, then no one should be passing. I guess that's the idea that Nicholas is kind of questioning here, right? That, right. But I have to say, you could maybe justify these laws and and the requirement to get over because you don't know whether the person behind you has an excuse to exceed the speed limit. I mean, all of this is like imaginary because we all know that people go much faster than the and speed limit. And this is analytically and, right. distinct from the from the prohibitions on driving below a certain speed on highways. That that can be genuinely dangerous right. if you're driving at thirty five or forty miles an hour. And in a highway where someone might come up behind you thinking, like not realizing until it's too late that you were not driving at the, at, at speed as it were. Right. right? Um, so I think that's an analytically quite separate question. This minimum speed question of from course. the left lane question. Yeah, yeah. The left lane question though is, it seems like a little bit of a puzzle. Like if you're going the speed limit and so anybody who passes you would be breaking the law, you have to get over and the reason for that would be to facilitate the violation of the law by the passers. Yeah. And I guess you could justify, I guess you could get out from under that quandary by postulating that the reason that you have to get over is because there may be people passing you in excess of the speed limit who have a justification or excuse for doing it. Either sure. they are law enforcement uh, or they are, I guess, people who have some exigency. You know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a baby on the way. Maybe there's something for which 
the law would provide some excuse, either implicit or explicit in the so, law. So what you're suggesting is a less perplexing, ver- at least on its face, a less perplexing version of this st- statute would be that you're required to use the left lane uh, for passing uh, or for driving the legal limit and not otherwise. So that a person who was using it to drive the legal limit but not passing would not need to get out of the way for a person who came up behind them, right? Because because right. one lawful use of the left lane is to drive the lawful limit. Right at the lawful limit, right. Yeah, and, that and would be you're a not, not, You're not obligated to get out of the passing lane if you're driving at the limit. And you're but saying it, that would be a less perplexing statute well, than, than I, one that merely says you can use the left lane for passing and not otherwise. Uh, it, it would be... It, it would be less perplexing in the sense that yes, I, I think in that's, terms that's of this the implication to violate the right. Speed but limit. but again, I think you could justify making you uh, call, making obligating someone to get out of the passing lane even at the speed limit because of the possibility that someone passing them has an excuse. Yeah, but, but what are these excuses, by the way? Well, like you, someone's having a baby, someone's been shot, some, there's some emergency, and and so driving faster so than those, the speed those limit. Those are law enforcement discretion. Oh, no, no. I mean, someone in the car. So so suppose someone in your car is having oh, a heart is attack. A, but is there a statute that privileges that behavior or is it just left maybe up this to one. discretion? Maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's left up to discretion, but For, maybe, the, this, uh, maybe this one recognizes that discretion, right? Implicitly. Implicitly recognize it. Or, I don't know, may, I, I actually haven't looked at these traffic laws. Maybe there are excuses for emergencies, even if you are not law enforcement. That I have would no excuse idea. speeding. Up to a certain point, I don't know. Point, yeah. I mean, some you know, using a reasonable seat, speed in excess of the speed limit, uh, commensurate with the emergency. I can imagine that being in there, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no safe harbor. The only right. safe harbor is the speed limit. But at right. least you know it would give a judge the power within the statutory scheme to. Yep. But what's fascinating is you know that's not at all what these laws are about. It's like everybody knows that people are going, you know, eighty miles an hour in a seventy mile per hour zone, yep. and that people who go seventy in the left lane are obnoxious and annoying. Uh, when everybody else is trying to go 80. And, and that's actually what motivated the legislature to do this. Yeah, interesting. Right? Yep. Isn't that, don't you, I mean, that's what's I going on. I imagine that's the case, yeah. Which shows something, right? I mean, there's, there's a reason we keep using the speed limit in like my legal theory class and in right. classes when you're teaching rules at first Including standards. Including that, that, was it Montana or? Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Well, I always bring this one up. You know, the re, you created a reasonableness standard. Reasonable and, and prudent. Quickly decided that that was not practicable yeah i don't know how quickly it was it was in within a, a few years within two or three years i think yeah. they changed their mind because it was when and i don't know all the details about why they changed their mind maybe they shouldn't have this was maybe the one maybe ticket collections fell too precipitously <laughs> and they then that was the source of their regret who knows not me well i always tell this when i when i teach rules against standards and we compare speed limits and you know, I drove through Montana. I think I know we've talked about this on the show before, but it's been <laughs> probably because you've heard this, right? I drove through Montana. I, I drove through Montana when this was oh, the regime. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was on you know one of the mountaineering trips or something. We were going you going through on a long road trip through Montana, coming back east, and 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 it was reasonable and prudent, which was awesome because especially in eastern Montana, like it's just. It, it it's not exactly dangerous, but it seems at odds with the whole idea of the universe that you would go less than like eighty or ninety on some of these <laughs> roads. And, and but you stop at a gas 90? station, and and I remember this like you know this little sign on the on the glass window of the gas station saying like Whoa there, Mario Andretti! There really is a speed limit. It's reasonable and prudent. Mm. And then there was a wall of text mm-hmm. explaining Great. that reasonable and prudent had some bite, had some meaning. But you know, I'll, I'll be darned if I can remember what it said i don't think i sat there and read it all right which shows the whole point right of a of trying to like make a rule out of what is clearly a standard 
right? To give some notice to people, you know, there was a huge problem with yeah. that. Anyway, interesting rules against standards thing, but and and it's, I mean, my so the the current the, the nightmare I'm imagining right now is the way that this this legal test invites a, a weird universal mashup where where every police officer becomes boss hog, and <laughs> and every driver becomes, uh, you know, um, Perry uh, Mason. Perry Mason. Uh, and, and it's just oh, yeah. this okay. sort of endless courtroom drama uh, that no one can escape from, right? It yeah. was reasonable. No, it wasn't reasonable. Well, the facts are these and these. Well, these are, I saw you go real fast. <laughs> so it just becomes this total disaster uh, right. of, of, you know, bad television. And the only thing that saves you, in, the only thing that saves time. you is that, is that most of the time people don't fight speeding tickets. Yeah, but is they just pay but, it. But was that the case in I, that context? I do not Cause, know because that legal standard is sort of sort of it has, invites litigation. It, doesn't it, it? it has this weird invitation to argue. Yeah, but the stakes are just low enough where for most people, <laughs> like you're just going to pay your money, right? Maybe, maybe definitely, definitely. Well, okay, I, I think we got. Do you have anything more? No, I think we should talk about the fact that it's been a big couple of weeks for both of us in terms of doing things. Really hasn't for me. It has. Really hasn't. You've made tremendous progress on two things, I think. I'm working on some things, but I haven't... Um, You're not ready to talk about them. Um, well, and I certainly haven't released them to the public. That's, mm. You have released a, a big thing to the public, and that's great. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is huge for me, I have to say. I mean, it's, this is a long time coming. Yeah. And... Major milestone. Are we going to do an episode about it? Uh, I don't know if there's demand. I don't know if the, I don't know if the world even wanted this thing, <laughs> much <laughs> much less more about this thing than it is released. <laughs> but it is like it's my theory of law. It's like it is. it's like what anybody. It's like you what, have said me, on many many prior episodes. You've talked about yeah, you know, I'm working on this thing. We're gonna we'll talk about it. You've said that many times. Yeah. Now you're kind of backing off that is what you're saying. No, I'm not backing. You know, it, it, would, would people want that? Like, who would we talk about it with? Would it just be you and me and? You know, you've read earlier drafts of this. I don't know if you've seen the I read the, pieces the latest of it. one. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I have not looked at the latest one. I have not had time. Yeah, because I've been because you've the, been doing this thing. Yeah, kind of trying to work, make some progress on things I've been writing. Yeah, with with some success and some failure. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this thing right now, other than that, boy, it was an intense experience with the last. That's cool. Chunk of it, you know, getting it out and um, intense in what in what way? How would you describe the intensity? Intensely. Uh, pleasant, intensely vexing, uh, intensely intense, intensely like intensely in a, intense. intellectually, just like all consuming mm. in the last bit because you're making all kinds of choices about what to put in and what to leave out. Yeah. The theory is a basically a multi part theory of law as kind of a um a uh, an act of mental modeling, a mm -hmm. mutual societal act of, of modeling things, right? What's Which is title? meant to be a realistic view. It's called perceiving law. Hmm. That law is a, you know, you can perceive the, that law is occurring. Um, and, and that, that, those in perceptual. In series of mental models. In these series of mental models, right? You're perceiving others' views of law. I mean, it, so it's a distinctly kind of human thing, right? That we were able to model the minds of others and that our participation in law in, in part comes from our modeling of the minds of others. I, we're not going to get into it all now other than to say there's this part of it that involves, it's driven by, I guess, it's driven by this problem like every legal problem we talk about goes back to this point eventually mm. of like why you know why are people disagreeing about law when two people make arguments about some big constitutional case and they both seem like you know you, you may agree with one and disagree with another but there just is no theory of 
there, there's no ultimate theory of correctness in law, right? I mean, that's the point, right? How do you, you know, how do you, how is it that we in fact judge what's right? How do, you know, so I'm partly explaining theoretical disagreement, but also theoretical agreement. Mm-hmm. Like this is Brian Leiter's critique of, of, of Dworkin's view of theoretical disagreement as, as necessarily entailing a certain interpretive view of law. But anyway, I can't go into this is see, I'm already kind of wrapped up in it. And this was the intensity of the last part. Cause I, the theory has multiple parts to it and they all work together mm. to produce this idea of mental modeling. What kinds of models, whether models of information flow among institutions, what is she doing? Is she pulling stuff apart? Oh, she almost brought the house down. <laughs> oh, See, she 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 knows that this was an intense process. She's coming over here to comfort me. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess one of the things that's intense about it, as you know, is that it's it's a it's a large piece that arguably should have been a book. I think, but I wanted a nice, crisp, positive explanation of the theory. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, here's the problem. Here's the problem I'm always led to when I'm considering legal problems, and I'm trying to know my own mind. Like, how do? Why do I? conceive of the arguments in this way mm. and in the process of doing that you know i read widely and did all kinds of you know, you've know all the legal uh theory teaching i've done in the podcast and all of that yep. so all of that is fed into this right but it, with this positive explanation trying to streamline it and just say what the theory is i had to make all kinds of choices like do i go into the heart working debate to what extent do i do that to what extent do i compare i compare it with shapiro's theory and i i found that really difficult because mm. so much had to be left unsaid right that would otherwise anchor this to various parts of the debate and yeah i don't know i found that really tough you know getting to this <laughs> streamlined 84 page presentation <laughs> of this theory oh one i suppose one uh, consolation is that uh there's nothing that stops you from going back and talking about the things that you had to leave unsaid at this stage, right? That's you right. You can continue to elaborate. It could be the work of a lifetime or, or more than one uh, to elaborate fully to your own satisfaction the various supporting avenues of of discussion and, and analysis and examination. Uh, and you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so to, certainly. To, I mean, as long as you remain interested in it, you can do that. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. It, it's you know, I, there's always going to be some regret that you don't do, you don't work harder to locate a thing within an existing conversational framework, right? Because that's like you've mentioned this before in the show, right? That a lot of what we do in academics is we are participating in a conversation, yes. and stuff that like lands like a meteor outside of that conversation is in some way, in your mind, less valuable. Right. It, it, it's a different. And I didn't want it to be that because I very much have been immersed in these conversations. Yep. Right. And, you know, over the summer, I actually had a draft of this thing, which I thought I was going to send out in May. Right. That I thought was done. And then I found, you know, I fell into this uh, more recent work by Brian Tamanaha, which is excellent on on um, uh, basically law as convention and looking at different ideas about what law is. And then I started reading about stuff which didn't make it into the draft about, you know, um, quantum logic and all kinds of ideas about how the human mind works, uh, mm. uh, um, kind of second generation cognitive science stuff, which really deepened the project in a way and, and anchored it, um, to more recent work in brain science and suggested a way forward. So there's so much that, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to do a lot 
I guess is what I'm saying. It, I tried to do a lot and yeah. it feels like a huge weight to get one, you know, to say what I said. To ship. Yeah. To ship a thing. Yeah. Shipping is hard, right? It is. Although that said, you know, I've got this other smaller thing I've been working on, which now that this is gone is about ready to go. So I'll put that out there soon. Yeah. Then I have another project, which is, you know, maybe more law review friendly, but also, uh, but it's a longer thing. I thought the short one was also law review friendly. It is. I mean, it is. No, but, but unlike the one that I just shipped, the one yeah. I just shipped is going to be a challenge to place in a law journal. It might be. It might take a little while. Um, yeah. Because so much of it is the argument of like, why are you interested in this? The, the short, um, the short one. I can't wait for that to come out, and so that we can talk about it. Because I think this one, this one is fair to say, in terms of level of disagreement, to the degree that I've heard you describe this thing before, mm-hmm. um, I, I, it this sounds is quite wrongheaded to me. Submarine statutes, correct? You're, oh, you don't like it? Your concern about them and and whatnot, yeah, and your view of them is problematic. But this is now, of course, your thought might have shifted quite a bit from where it was the the few times that this has come up conversationally but that's why mm. i'm anxious to look at the thing and because i'm hoping we can really have a scrum about it <laughs> we probably can yeah you could say it's a bit more of a lark this thing but there is a oh and those and there's no better pitched battle than a pitch battle over a lark <laughs> i mean there's no what could be better it's just it's almost pure enjoyment right maybe we should take this one to judge john hodgman Settle, settle it. Who's right, whose view on submarine statutes is correct? Oh, I don't think he would. I don't, I don't think he would take the case. I don't think he would either. He has he has certiorari power, doesn't he? Yeah, hmm? he has total certiorari power. Yes, he is. He he is uh, cert denied. I think his, in that case, his his, his review is entirely uh, discretionary. He's the master of his own docket, for sure. Oh, what? we have a phone call. Am I going to leave that in? I, sure. Nothing will demonstrate the unedited nature of this particular episode than leaving, leaving in, in this uh, than leaving in this uh, thing, which is coming through the computer and the phone at the same time. Yeah. Nice. Who knows what that was about? Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Anyway, this uh, paper will 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 arise and uh, and we'll chat about it, and uh, it'll be delightful. Um. Okay. And then I got this other one coming up too. We can talk about that one. We're going to talk about. You've got stuff coming out. Eventually. <laughs> you had the two um, about... And the two little things yeah, about, yeah. about the, uh, the immorality of requesting expedited review, the latter of which is a satirical um, Swiftian piece. And there'd be, you know, if that place is it's out on SSRN, someone could read it if they wanted to. But. Well, now that I've got perceiving law out there, do you think I should expedite that? <laughs> <laughs> I think if you get an offer of publication... I should just take it. Um, I think that uh, that would be great if you got an offer of publication because I think it's uh, the bits of the project and and our many conversations over these years and uh, my uh, my un- unswerving belief in the importance of the project, um, which I've had for a long time. Uh, I, you know, I think it's great. I you know, one thing I, I want do, other people to see it. Do you know, and one, in a sense, people can they can look on us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I'll I'll link it up. I mean, not any, because I think you know. I actually I posted it in open uh, the um, SOC archive. Oh, okay. And cool. yeah, SSRN, yeah. Mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting because it's got like yeah, I don't know sixty something downloads in SSRN. In the is it two weeks now or one week? It's been a week and a half since I posted it. Yeah. And it had like eight or nine downloads on the SOC archive mm-hmm. thing. So. And, and I post all my other, and the, uh, the other papers have gotten downloads on that too. So yeah. there's a, 
There's is a it, non-trivial. Is it Sock Archive or Soch Archive? It's S O C A R X I V. But isn't it isn't for a social science archive? Yeah. So wouldn't you say Soch Archive? Um, Sock Archive. Isn't that? Isn't, from, isn't that from box the, of people? Isn't that from? So- the, isn't that from the outsiders? It's not. A, it's not a piece. It's not a box of people's. You know, socks. Um, right. It's not like 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 the the socks that disappear from the dryer don't go to this place mm. to pile up. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's social science papers are being archived. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um. I'm trying to uh, think on my feet to get you to pronounce. A similar abbreviation in a way that would be ridiculous, and I'm not fast enough. It's not a, you know, this isn't a, this isn't sort of some house elf secret stash of socks that can liberate them. Well, the, the upshot is that I have released my paper to Elsevier for on its SSRN, <laughs> but I've also, I've also put it on in in an alternative uh, uh, service, and I probably will post them to the, my. Um, I probably should host all my papers on the blog as well just you know a sidebar or something like that i've sent some to the social archive as well um and uh and and i i also welcome any communications from our dutch publishing overlords well i so i I only mentioned this so i so because i said i'm going to link it up so i'll link up one or both of those links and and Mm -hmm. i i do i think just reading the introduction if even if you're not interested in the whole jurisprudential thing may give you a hopefully an insight into what I'm interested in. And I yeah. wanted to mention that because the introduction is totally different now than it was. Thanks to Joe. And I even thank you in my, uh, you haven't seen this. Have you seen this? Um, I thank you in this little star footnote for, oh gosh. for, um, for convincing a, me to cut my favorite scene for pitching a huge fit. Yeah. And it was the right decision. And so now the introduction is different and it starts Maybe. with, you know, it starts with like this problem of actually it starts with the, um, Merrick Garland thing. Mm. Like who, who you, to, and then I go into a game of Monopoly. Nice. And the game we'd of Monopoly to, shows you everything you need to know, I think. We'd have to build some sort of quantum bridge to the alternate universe where Christian disregarded the fit I pitched in mm. his living room to see how that alternative history played out. Yeah. Because there's a reality in which that, if you believe in these alternate reality you know, well, it would be the alternate reality where, where I wrote the version of the yeah, universe because you that, saw a rough draft. I mean, what would the best version of that story have looked like? Right, right, and it wouldn't have looked exactly like what you read. I thought part of what you read was too precious in a way, and and needed some revision. But you convinced me to think totally differently about mm. it, and I think rightly. I think it's better. I mean, cool. I, I, I like the introduction. Well, now. the you and I that are here, yeah, the you. The you that is here thinks it's better, and we can tell because we can see it's not. It, you cut it out. Yeah. So the thing is that's here is better. But I also like the idea that I cut my favorite scene. It makes me like feel the like idea that what that I cut my favorite scene. Mm. I think that you know that's because a critical that's not a private thing. It's a special private thing. No, no, nah, no, no. It's not because I like maintained a piece mm. separate. It's because okay. I've got that thing on my blog somewhere. But it's that you know you you. Uh, the it's a recognition that the personal appreciation of something is not the point of writing something oh, or, or yeah. creating not, something. Right. I mean, not writing this kind of thing. right. Cause this is like famous in like directorial circles. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, yeah. the director cutting his or her favorite scene right. is what makes the movie right. Because the, the personal appreciation of the art is not, it's, it's an appreciation that, it, which is actually kind of ironic given uh, or conciliatory, I guess, to, with the whole theory of the paper in a way, right? That that what you're communicating 
is more and different than your internal experience of the thing. Mm. And, that you, and that what you have to be concerned with is the communication of the thing. So your favorite scene and that not necessarily being the best scene, like you can recognize that these are two different categories. Or you, like if I'm thinking about my paper, if I'm thinking about this idea, I may return to this metaphorical sure. scene that I had. Right? And to me, it captures might. everything. Yeah. And I even said to you when we were talking about it, like, it, you know, I would, I would almost rather ship nothing but that and cut everything else out. Because I think the whole say, idea can be built. Because the whole idea can be built from that, right? But, but, you know, I recognize that that's my internal experience of the thing. And that, that it's, that's not the best way to communicate these ideas. Hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. But, you know. The process. The struggle. Yeah, I don't know. Anything else going on, Joe? Nope. I almost don't want to let this one go. Not that we're going to talk about here. <laughs> I got a voicemail. I wonder what that is. Maybe it's some journal calling saying, hey, we're going to publish the piece. Could be great. <laughs> I would love that. It could be good, right? That, that could be good. Sure. Oh, yeah, this is another thing we need to talk about. Isn't it important to publish? I believe it's very important. Over and above putting it out there. Ah, now you raise a different issue. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I mean. It's clearly important to ship. And, and maybe at some point we can also have a conversation about the, the choices that we've made about what to ship and when. Yeah. You know, this podcast, blogging versus book chapters versus long articles like this. Mm -hmm. The particular kind of, you know, choices we've made in that respect and whether they are, you know, what's consistent with the academic mission and what's not. That, that's a tricky one, right? And, it is. And, and how does publishing in a law review rather than shipping it to SSRN or like, what's the difference? And, 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 you know, what, I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, you know, I have a lot of different thoughts about it, but me too. All right. I feel like we've put a lot of ideas out there and we haven't really <laughs> answered any of them today. Well, yeah, it's uh, where now is the time, uh, because it's early spring. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to plant the seeds and watch them grow. And so hmm. that's what we're doing. Is that, is now a time to plant? Yeah, because it's early spring. What, what are you t even talking about? It's September. Uh, that is a true <laughs> and accurate statement of okay. the calendar context in which we are operating. I'm making a, a more of a sort of, not quite a spiritual point, but. More uh, of kind of a wrong point about seasons. Yeah, I'm, 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 get, I'm playing a little bit faster and looser with the calendar. Quite, yeah. And uh, I think it's okay to. I think it's okay to plant seeds. Okay. Sometimes. All right. Well, um, on that note. to quickly mow down the little green shoots that have come out, you know, because you're in such a rush. I think is... at this point I should just say Merry Christmas. And <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and Happy Easter. We'll wind this thing up. And, uh, yeah, like that. All right, Joe, I've got a late breaking update. That phone call. Hello, I'm calling about a new low-cost dental plan that covers dot, dot, dot. That's a transcription on my phone. So. Right. I don't, I don't know what else follows from that. I don't think they're making a publication offer on my article, though. Probably not. Okay. 